Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast, the place where design and development overlap. Brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. Hey everyone, Chris here. This is an interview with Josh Cusick at Microsoft. We had some audio issues at the start of the recording, and so the intro had to get cut from this episode. So I wanted to just let you guys know, this starts in the middle of a question. Most of the contents here, and Josh was a really awesome guest, uh, really appreciate him being on. We just want to let the listeners know why there's a weird jump in the audio. So without further ado, here's Josh. So one of the things that I think is important to understand from your perspective is, is as a designer, what does a design system look like for designers? Yeah, a design system really is a single source of truth. I mean, I think you probably hear that a lot on this podcast, but um, my job, at least how I see my job at Microsoft is to empower designers and engineers to be able to communicate with each other seamlessly and make the designs as usable as possible, but also as close to code as possible. Awesome. And so what do you mean by that when you talk about design getting close to code? What what comes to mind when you think about this process? Because how I've kind of always envisioned like, like design systems in Figma is you have this collection of patterns that you reuse to make comps. And I think that that's not totally accurate. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by getting close to code. Yeah, so when we look, we kind of have to look at it from a number of different perspectives, right? So when we look at, we call it the, the Teams component libraries or TCL, we've, we've got kits for every platform at Microsoft. The one that I work on and built is the desktop kit, right? And so when I'm, when I'm talking about aligning to code, I'm talking about how do we, for example, take a button and allow designers, regardless of, of your understanding of code, to be able to use that button and toggle properties on and off and change and tweak and modify that button without breaking it. And also when they hand off their comps with that button that I have designed and made available to them, um, how do engineers that are, are then coding the actual prototype and they're importing the, you know, the react button, how do they know what properties to pass and to set in that button? And so it's kind of like, uh, straddling both of those those two points of view. Yeah, so actually in your design tools, you're thinking about things like prop types and the different types of variables and mm-hmm. all the different things that would go into the rule set that ultimately uh, is built by developers and, and fundamentally creates a set of constraints for those developers to work with. It. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation at Microsoft in that I hear a lot of teams when they talk about building design systems, they, they oftentimes will have their kits uh, and their designs and their comps already spun up and already built, and then they end up coding all of these components out. So how are design systems constructed at Microsoft? How is it that your design system that you work on every day? How does that fit into like the greater ecosystem there? So when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, actually building these components that are already in code, because, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of where we were at when I started. We, we didn't have all of these components actually built in our Figma files, especially with variants as well. So really what I did was I, I looked at the component APIs or, or button props or button properties and um, map those to what I actually built. And there are some trade-offs and some nuances. Right. And and presumably there's things you can do in design tools that you can't do in code. Right. And there's stuff you can do in code that you can't do in design exactly. tools. And, and so there are these gaps that are in the system for you. When you think about identifying those gaps, how do you bridge those and how mm-hmm. does that look? Because again, alignment of this 
large scale set of designs to code, uh, you know, the, the gaps there are, are numerous, but ideally like pretty small. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of matter of kind of a couple different things that we've done. One of the things I try to do is, you know, align the documentation, but not be aligned to the actual like documentation. So like, for example, looking at a button, you know, a button component, but, but make it so that a actual designer that has no experience with code whatsoever understands the function of the properties or the, you know, variance is what Figma refers to it as. So I just try to make it as intuitive as possible. And I make some concessions. Like, for example, I don't use in the properties panel or the variance panel in Figma, I don't use Pascal casing for properties. Um, I'll use, I'll just use, you know, sentence casing and some of the language is, is changed a little bit. Yeah, I think that's great. I, you know, looking a little deeper into naming, right? So when you think about how you align what is being designed to what is being in code, how do you how do you marry up the names of things, right? Because mm-hmm. we all know that naming's hard, right? Yeah. Like the the problem space of naming is <laughs> varied and and extensive. When you think about how you create that mapping between a, a component or a variant in Figma and that same thing in the land of code, what does that conversation look like? How do you how do you bridge that space with language? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So in my previous company, I was I was focused on uh, more closely following BEM, so block element modifier. It's a, it's a very common CSS naming convention for my layers specifically. And um, that was because the actual components weren't always coded. While at Microsoft, um, the components are already already built, and so for the the name of the component, I'm I'm snapping to what we have in code. Unless I'm building a new component, then I'm it's a whole nother conversation. And then for so for the name, it's 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 always using uh, Pascal casing, which it's just easier to scan. In that way, you're able to tie a lot of the convention that you're using inside of design to the exact same convention that exists in code. And so that creates a much less ambiguous way of translating what comes to an engineer in Figma. Yeah. And then for the layers, we're, I'm more focused on making it intuitive for designers while also following uh, a BEM-esque naming convention. So they understand when they click on a layer and they see icon string stack, they understand that it's an icon and a string, right? And if there's multiple strings, I have a description at the end of that. So that that kind of helps me to know exactly what to call something when I'm building it, uh, which saves me time. And it also lets designers kind of establish a expectation for what to look for when they're toggling down inside of layers in a, in a component. So all of this sounds a lot different than maybe the conventional thought process around design. That idea that like, Hey, folks in Figma are just drawing boxes on a coordinate plane and, and <laughs> inserting a couple of layers around yeah. it, right? I know that that's an, an oversimplification of of the role there, but how does this differ from the traditional idea of the creation of comps and the production process in design? Yeah, it's a really good question. So you and I were we're talking about this uh, earlier before the recording started, and my team we're we're looking at a lot of things like. Um, you know, standardizing patterns and standardizing models. So there's not a lot of, um, there is exploration for our feature teams, but that's kind of within the parameters of what framework sets, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that's great. So when you think about the patterns that are being, are being set in a design file, what form does that take? Because I've always thought about 
design in a very traditional sense of like, this is a screen flow or this is an app flow or this is something that I'm comping out that mm-hmm. is about telling a story. And I know that that's changing to be a lot more about how do I express intent and then how do I create boundaries and rule systems around that intent? How is that embraced in this idea of this new concept of design system? Yeah. So not only is my team done a lot of work inside of Figma to make uh, as many components, customized components and configurable components available to the users, um, to our designers so that they can configure them and and change them and and, and all that type of stuff. But we're also working to provide high-level guidance from a framework perspective on how to use specific components, such as notifications and loading components. There's two pretty big projects that my team is working on right now um, that I'm I'm helping to lead, which is the uh, notifications framework and the uh, loading framework. The notifications framework has been quite fun, and it's been a way to basically look at all the ways that we're communicating with the users right now inside of uh, Microsoft Teams, and that's you know things like uh, banners and um, toasts and all, all types of stuff, and to um, really kind of rethink and reimagine how we're communicating the user, really go in and be really intentional about how we uh, use specific components and uh, all offer alternative um, components for our users, meaning our engineers and our designers to use in specific scenarios. One of the uh, models that I've helped to introduce for that notifications framework is this model called intent. It's really just semantics. So we've got this semantic leveling of components where um, it's one through four, one being the most severe. So if a banner is a level one, it's just really urgent. It's level two, it's less severe, it's, it's a warning. And level three is a positive or successful type of notification. And then a level four is just something that's really neutral, purely informational. And then the other thing as well is, you know, I've helped to extend, you know, existing components and kind of flex them and stretch them a little bit more. So we had this component called the confirmation, which is a toast component. And so we've extended that, renamed it to a toast and kind of just made it fit that model as well. So we've got uh, not only do we have these banners that are following this intent model, but we also have toasts and then other components as well. So really helps us to be intentional about what types of components we use and then how we style those components and how those components behave. Tell me a little bit more about the intent system. What does that actually mean and how is that applied inside of of that semantic framework? Yeah, the intent system basically helps to kind of give a more concrete and clear way to users, meaning our engineers and our designers, to select the type of component and then to select the uh, style of the component and the messaging of the component. So it's very clear, you know, if this is a level one in intent, it means it's this component needs to have red styling. If it's a banner, it's it's red. If it's a toast, it has like a red icon on it. And then there's specific messaging and actions that can be applied to that. Whereas if it's a level four, this is something that's just purely neutral and it's informational. So it doesn't need to convey any sense of urgency. We're just trying to communicate something to the user. Gotcha. So that way you're able to sort of assess the importance it gives people guidance on the intent of the design yeah rather than just like a an open-ended here's some options right yeah so you know i'm seeing this with the skeleton component that i i helped design and ship for the fluent web 
design system and specking it out, designing it, writing guidance for it and shipping it. Um, there's things that I wasn't able to anticipate as far as I needed guidance for it. And so one of the things I've gone back now and, and done is uh, writing more more guidance on that skeleton component and then looped in or or grouped in other components in there as well. Uh, so like a spinner and, and some other stuff and uh, then named that loading framework. So now I've got this framework that I'm working on that is helping to provide like high value and high level guidance on similar to the notifications framework on what components to use and when and all that type of stuff to really help designers and engineers select the right uh, loading component to use and, and, and why. So now you're taking that same sort of practice idea of, of a semantic framework and an expression of intent that was used with notifications. You're applying it elsewhere to, in this case, loading systems. But you know, it sounds to me like one of the things that's happening within the design side of teams is that there's a lot of almost competing ideas about the direction here. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a codified set of rules or at least best practices that people can follow that allow for easy decision-making around what to use when and where. Yeah, and you know, I think what's really cool is the design maturity level at Microsoft. You know, Envision talks about, you know, ranking design maturity. They've got this design maturity model. It's been really really cool and really satisfying to work for a company that has a high level of design maturity, a high level of, you know, hunger and uh, willingness to, uh, you know, expand the way that, you know, that we do design and, and we think about designing components and, you know, a really deep hunger for, for guidances that, that we work on. So I am really curious about this. Like, give me a sense of before and after, because it wasn't always this way. And it certainly no. <laughs> wasn't this way when you joined. And so try to think about the before and after of this where, you know, now this, this sounds like utopia, right? You have a, a design landscape where there's a lot of adoption. People are super bought in. It aligns well to code. There's, um, you know, expressions of intent and semantics that cross over to code. And even more so, it sounds like you've, you've created a, a good structure for that system that allows people to contribute to it and modify it. Mm-hmm. But what did it look like before and and kind of lead me down the journey of getting there? Yeah. So with every design system, it has its beginning and uh, kind of goes through its its growth stages. And as it grows and matures, there's different things that are identified as needs. And uh, you kind of weigh those as the system grows. So when I first started, the uh, team that I'm on, the framework team, um, my, my manager, Kay, and my, my peer, Daisy, they had worked on a lot of uh, components specifically for the team's desktop and web applications, but also for uh, the Fluent design system for the web part of Fluent. And so, you know, when I came in, I took on some of that work, but then I also started to take on some other projects as well. So kind of freed, freed them up a little bit to, to, to focus on that. And um, so I was able to work on things like, you know, building and scaling out the, the Figma kit for us and, kind of just helping to contribute to the ongoing efforts of the team. So yeah, it, it's been pretty cool to see, uh, you know, the team grow from uh, two to three to now there's six of us on this team. And, you know, as we grow and as we get more resources, we're able to work on uh, more and more projects and allocate resources towards things that uh, end up benefiting 
really the whole organization and then different things that we work on, especially for the fluent design system. Uh, we're able to help designers and engineers and, and PMs all across Microsoft design. Right. And so like, what does that, what does that look like for the next iteration then? Yeah. The two main areas that I'm focusing on right now is, you know, working on that high level framework guidance for things like loading framework and notifications framework. All this guidance, the goal is to move it into an internal doc site. We, we built that doc site during a hackathon week and ended up getting a lot done, which was pretty cool. And just that, that site will be able to provide some more visibility into the kind of the do's and don'ts and best practices of using specific components and, and different frameworks that I'm working on and my team is working on. And then I'm also in the process of handing off the work that I did inside of Figma. So the Figma UI kit for the team's component libraries off to um, some of the new designers that joined our team. Awesome. So, so with all these new folks, like, how do you bring somebody that's that's new onto this system and you know potentially more importantly how do you keep them from breaking things so a couple things so like i mentioned earlier having a doc site that we're working on it's it's already spun up and i need to work on uh you know adding more guidance to that site so things like you know what types of dependencies to use for the Figma UI kit that I that I built, you know, we built a plugin to um, make the job easier, the theme components, and to, to switch properties on and off. And then, you know, just some basic onboarding guidance and understanding how to contribute to the Teams component library Figma kit as well. So these are all, all things that I'm working on to make it easier for folks to implement and, and work with the system. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about the plugin, because I think this is an interesting piece here, right? Because you guys have actually created something that is essentially a unique plugin that you use to to connect what you're doing to other parts of your ecosystem. Yeah, the plugin was pretty fun to build. I worked with a UX engineer at Microsoft, and it's, it's built in React and TypeScript. And I was just using Figma's API to basically theme components and then also surface uh, nested components inside larger components. So like, for example, if I had a, you know, a title bar and I had a group of and three buttons and then an avatar and some other stuff. Um, I'm able to see all of those at once in a single UI little, you know, that little box that shows up for the plugin. Um, and then do different things like group them together and apply a single property uh, on or off or ungroup them and, and pretty cool stuff like that. It also helps us to uh, theme as well. So we had about 25 designers when we built the plugin that were you know, really solely working in, in dark mode or dark theme and to mitigate the time and effort it would have taken to build out or duplicate all the existing light theme components into dark mode, we, we built this plugin. So yeah, it's been pretty fun. We've got some plans for it and I'm excited to see what happens uh, in the future. It's awesome to see the extension of what you're doing in design system, actually like influencing a design tool. I think that that's been one of the really challenging parts in this, um, you know, cross-disciplinary function that exists between design and development is, you know, there's a lot of, of tooling and plugins for each different discipline and getting those, those pieces to talk to each other and allow you to accomplish the same things is actually kind of challenging, right? Because, you know, as a designer, you have your set of considerations and as a developer, you have a separate set of considerations. And so thinking about the ways of creating those common rule sets seems to be kind of the way forward there. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about the site you created and and what's going on with, you know, the design systems for Figma. Yeah, design systems for Figma.com started off as a personal project. Um, 
you know, when I started at Microsoft, one of the needs was to uh, basically centralize all of our components inside of a single kit. Um, we had just migrated, for the most part, when I started um, from Sketch to Figma, which was really cool. And in the midst of migrating, we, we were kind of refactoring some of the things that we were doing, and, and I was left up to the, the task to kind of make some of those decisions. And before I, I was uh, going to go in and, and start, you know, creating all these components and moving things around and organizing, I didn't really want to arbitrarily make those decisions because it was going to impact uh, about a hundred designers. Um, so one of the things that I did was I, you know, I looked at all of these different design system kits that were uh, in Figma, and um, you know, I wanted to understand what these different kits were doing and and why they were making some of the decisions so that I could take some of the good decisions that they made and effective decisions that they made and implement those decisions at Microsoft. And so in the process of, of reaching out to these different designers at all these companies, I didn't get a lot of resources as far as, you know, when I was asking different companies or different designers, like, hey, do you have these design kits open? Are they available? You know, other than pointing me to kits that I already had, I didn't really get much help. But what I did get was requests to, uh, you know, open source my work. So I had my work really stored centrally in a file or project file in Figma. Uh, and, and teams inside of Microsoft and, and different people inside of Microsoft were interested in seeing that work. Um, so ultimately, I created the design systems for Figma.com site as a, as a way to kind of, you know, Put together all those resources, you know, and as that grew, uh, one of the other things that I identified was, um, an opportunity to create a blog. So design systems for figma.com forward slash blog. Um, you're able to read from other design system experts and kind of learn about what, you know, what they're doing at different companies like Google and Spotify and Netflix and that type of thing, just to kind of uh, create a community around design systems and uh, create a kind of central resource for folks to read about what other folks are doing in the design systems community. Yeah, it's an awesome resource. And, and I'm very excited to see this community maturing across lots of different channels and lots of different like little ecosystems getting created. It's really awesome that you, you've built that. Thanks. Yeah. So thinking about these communities, what's the best way for people to engage around this sort of stuff, right? Is there a place that people can go? Where do you go when you need help, when you have questions that you need to get answered? Yeah. So about a couple of months ago, uh, the framework and, and design systems teams um, started an open garage office hours for folks inside of Microsoft, um, uh, Microsoft design, mainly uh, Teams design, Teams desktop and web to come in and, and show their mocks and show their designs and ask questions about how to use components, when to use components and that type of thing. It's a lot of fun and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool experience um, to be able to you know, create this community for feedback. It's a, it's a safe environment for folks to present some ideas that they have and, and to get feedback from the design systems team. And the cool thing about the design systems and frameworks teams are that we're aware on kind of like a global level of, of what projects are going on in multiple teams. And so oftentimes we're able to kind of play matchmaking. And so if a um, designer is wanting to implement a new feature or work on a component that another team might already be working on, um, we're able to kind of point them to that other team and help them collaborate, which which I think is a lot of fun. Hey, Josh, just want to say, I really appreciate you coming on, talking about the the world of design and design systems at Microsoft. Um, just want to say, really appreciate you. Thanks a bunch. Be sure to go check out Josh's community at Design Systems for Figma. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. 
That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. Our producers are Ryan Peterson and Shana Hodkin. Our musical composer is Wes Willis. Our editor is Zach Barkis. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DS Pod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.